Welcome to My Cousin Jane, a podcast about Jane Austen and her works, with your host, Lee Phelan. Welcome back to My Cousin Jane, everyone, or if you're a first-time listener, thank you for joining us. Though you can, of course, listen to these episodes in any order, I highly recommend you listen to each season from the start. In each episode, we look at what you might think of as the behind-the-scenes featurettes or deleted scenes of a particular chapter in Austin's books, and sometimes I'll refer back to the content of a previous episode, so be sure to go back and listen to those when you get a chance. So once again, this season, we are turning our attention to Jane Austen's most popular book, Pride and Prejudice, and today we're going to be talking about Chapter 2. Now, Chapter 2 is even shorter than Chapter 1, by my estimation. And two important things take place in this chapter. First, we find out that Mr. Bennett secretly visited Mr. Bingley without telling anyone, despite what he always led his wife to believe. And second, we meet some of the daughters of the Bennett family and get some hints as to their personalities. Now, most of my listeners will probably already know this, but just so we're all on the same page when we discuss the family, I want to talk really briefly about the five Bennett daughters, even though they're not all explicitly mentioned in this chapter. The eldest is Jane. Throughout the book, we learn that she's considered the most beautiful, though rather shy, and the least judgmental of the family. The second eldest is Elizabeth, though her father often calls her Lizzie. She's the main protagonist, and most of the novel takes place from her point of view. Third in line is Mary, and Austen is not very flattering when she talks about Mary. Mary's defining trait in the novel is that she works really hard to improve herself both in reading and in musical performance, but her opinion of her talents exceeds her actual abilities. Next is Catherine, known almost exclusively in the novel as Kitty. She doesn't play a very large role in the book, acting mostly as her younger sister's comrade-in-arms. And then finally we have Lydia, the youngest sister. Lydia is portrayed as an impetuous young woman who appears to have little to no regard for the restrictions of propriety. Though on the bright side, she is the tallest. So with those introductions out of the way, on to an important topic, hat trimming. When Mr. Bennett reveals his big surprise to the family, Lizzie is in the middle of trimming a hat. So I want to talk about this because it comes up again later in the book, and fashion was such an important aspect of Regency life. Just like today, during the Regency era, what was considered fashionable was constantly shifting. Fashion advice at the time pointed out that while it wasn't easy to judge someone's talents, learning, or character, your sense of fashion was under constant scrutiny. Men and women were actually given similar advice as to fashion trends. In the Book of Etiquette for Gentlemen, the advice is given that, quote, etiquette requires some attention to the prevailing mode, but not a servile imitation of any fashionable idiot. Meanwhile, the section on bonnet trimming and construction in the lady's self-instructor cautioned, No doubt, in the choice both of material and of color, considerable deference must be paid to the prevailing fashion. It is well to avoid the two extremes into which some people are very apt to fall. The one is an entire disregard to the prevailing taste, and the other a servile submission to its tyrannic sway. A medium course is the only sensible one. And in this, good sense will dictate how far to go and where to stop. Now, there was also a strong sense among some women of the time that rather than having your dress follow the prevailing fashion of modern England, your choice of clothing should be dictated by your body type and complexion 
So there's a relatively famous Regency fashion book called The Mirror of Graces, which was published in 1811. And it was written uh, anonymously. The author's name is simply A Lady of Distinction. And it warns, quote, some women will actually disguise and disfigure themselves rather than not appear in the prevailing fashion, which, though advantageous to one character of face, may have the direct contrary effect with another. I hinted at this in the earlier part of this dissertation. Now I come closer to my subject, intending to enter into a minute detail of what ought or ought not to be worn by women of different molds and complexions. Regardless of which school of fashion you belong to, everyone agreed that women needed to wear good bonnets, and the lady self-instructor gives extensive details on the construction, modification, and trimming of bonnets, and a host of other things, claiming, quote, An acquaintance with the directions here given will soon enable anyone to make a bonnet of almost any shape. The principles are the same in all, and details cannot be learned from books. They can only be the result of observation and experience. So it's pretty interesting. It says anyone can do it once they read the directions in the book, but that the details cannot actually be learned from the book. And maybe one of the reasons details couldn't be learned from the book is because the book has no pictures. For example, the instructions for reforming a bonnet from an existing foundation says, quote, Detach the crown from the front and shape the material by the pattern. Tack the lining in the outside to the front and cord, or otherwise secure the edges. Then make the crown covering the top first, then put on it the piece of material that's to go around in a proper manner, and secure it at the top by a single or double row of cord. Fit it as tightly as possible to the frame that you had before prepared, and fasten it on the back. You then turn in the edges and set it on the front. The edge of the crown is to be outermost, or over that of the front. You put in the headlining and attach the curtain as in the former examples, and trim it as you choose. Patience required indeed. So leaving fashion behind for a minute, last episode, we talked about the etiquette of introductions. Mrs. Bennett is determined that in this particular instance, the social norms be properly adhered to. But this chapter shows us that there's at least one Regency-era social norm that Mrs. Bennett is apparently quite happy to ignore, allowing all of her daughters to be out, as shown in this clip, again courtesy of Karen Savage and LibriVox.org. Lydia, my love, though you are the youngest, I dare say Mr. Bingley will dance with you at the next ball. Oh, said Lydia stoutly, I'm not afraid, for though I am the youngest, I'm the tallest. So Lydia, not even 16 yet, none of her older sisters married, normally would not be present at social situations. She would not even be out in public without her governess or her mother to attend her. But here we see she's going to go to this ball. Whether this is the first time this has happened or that it's happened many other times, uh, the book doesn't say. But this will come up again in a later chapter. Well, that wraps up our second episode of Season 2 of My Cousin Jane, Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to help support the show, please head over to leefalen.com slash mycousinjane, sign up for our newsletter, or click on the little donate button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.